0: Hey, Jim. I love talking to you, by the way.
1: Yeah, same.
0: I do. I love when we get together and we get to talk to interesting people. And every time we do this, I learn something new. So today, Pete, Pete Hall?
1: Pete Hall, yes. He's uh, been an educator for many years. He's been a principal. He is an author, has written numerous books, and um, has one that just recently came out called Pursuing Greatness, which hopefully he'll tell us a little bit about today.
0: Okay, let's give him a call. Pete, are you home?
2: Hi, this is Pete.
1: Hey, Pete, this is Jim Martin with Little Things First.
2: Hey, Jim, how you doing?
1: Good, how are you doing? I am great, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm here with Tracy and Andy Venter. Hey, Pete. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Tracy, and you.
0: I am so good, and thank you for taking time out of your your week to just visit with us and answer questions and and give us insights. We really appreciate it.
2: Oh, it is my pleasure, and i I really appreciate the format that you've set up. The little things make little, a little difference. Idea that is
1: uh, yeah so true and. So I think it's it's worthwhile, absolutely. Yeah. Thank well, you. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Tracy.
0: Well, I was just going to say, we like to hear from everyone at the beginning uh, just a little bit about yourself and uh, how you describe yourself so people know who you are and where you're coming from, and then we'll kind of jump into those little things, questions.
2: Okay. Um, have we already begun? you want me just to go ahead and get started? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are
1: rolling. Actually, you, oh, we, you've already rolling. been
2: recorded. You're on. <laughs> Uh, hey, how about that? Don't say anything uh, nasty. Then, um, oh yeah, I gotta be, I gotta be super careful. Um, well, I don't know if you can hear in the background what it sounds like where I am right now, but there's crickets and birds chirping, and uh, there's some horses running around. Uh, I live up in the nor- northern Idaho panhandle. Oh wow, in a pretty remote spot. So I'm having no problems at all social distancing during this <laughs> pandemic. Um, so I'm home. I got my uh, my wife and my two daughters at home with me. My older daughter is finishing her junior year, starting her senior year at uh, Seattle Pacific University, but they've gone full virtual. Just she's home, and my other daughter is wrapping up her senior year in high school, which is a really unique experience. As far as you know, think back to all of our senior years in high school, mm-hmm. what they were like, and all the different memories that we made, and all the different events, and the social things going yeah. on. And, she just kind of had the whole slate wiped clean yeah.
1: yeah that's
2: sad. and is trying to navigate what that's like. So we're, you know, we're trying to keep it all in perspective and it, I mean, it's a memory maker one way or the other. So we, she's put a great brave face on it. She said, dad, there's nothing I can do about it. So you're just going to roll with it. Right. Yeah. It's going to be all right.
1: That's
2: good. Attitude. So uh, that's the, that's the family side of things. My wife is a kindergarten teacher and I'm a former teacher, former school principal. I was a principal for 12 years, three different schools, and uh, now I I kind of just see myself as a as a guy, a, a traveler on the journey. And it really is kind of my intent and my purpose to help other travelers make their journeys better. So if there's anything I can do as far as sharing messages or alerting more and passing that along, that's kind of what I aim to do now. So
1: that's me in a nutshell. Nice. That's awesome. I'm a fan. I've I've <laughs> Yeah. I don't want you to think I'm a stalker. He's or anything a traveling like that. fan. No, but I mean, like I have, I've owned some of your books in the past. So we've done some book groups as principals, and um, I actually heard you speak at an ASCD conference probably about ten years ago. Now, so, oh um, so yeah, I think you've done some really great things, and so we feel really lucky to be able to talk to you today. Um, one of your latest books is called. Well, thank per- you. Yeah, you bet. One of your latest books is called Pursuing Greatness, um, which you wrote with some colleagues. Um, also has a companion Mm. article. Can you talk a little bit about the premise of that book?
2: Oh my gosh, there's so many. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Pursuing Greatness is something that was born from kind of a coupling of two big ideas. One stems from the work that I've done with Elisa Simmerall for the last, I can't, 15, some 16, 17, I don't know how many years, the two of us have been working together. I was a principal, she was an instructional coach at a school in Reno together, And we really kind of developed this model for reflective practice and how educators can grow in whatever they want to grow in if they're engaging in a predictable pattern of thinking that we refer to as the reflective cycle. This this idea that the more reflective we are, the more effective we are. So we created a model for growing as a reflective practitioner and also for coaching others to become more reflective. So you took that big idea and we partnered with the good folks at McRell. And that's Brian Goodwin and BJ Stone and Miss Scott and the whole team over at McRell to bring the really strong research component into it. So kind of asking one of two questions to enter into this resource. One is, uh, how do I get better at stuff? And our answer is, well, you, you reflect, you start by being more reflective, you grow as a reflective practitioner. And then the second question is, Well, what are the things that I should be reflecting on? And that's where the research piece from McGraw comes in. So, um, it, this has been something that is a truly has been a labor of love, and we've really enjoyed getting into this work. I mean, there's so many things about this book that it's kind of a six-year professional development plan for a teacher. It is the way that we tackle the different challenges that we face. It's a toolbox. It's a guide for collaboration. It's a source of research. It's a blueprint for continuous growth. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it. I really think it's a... And I don't just say this because I, I was one of the authors. I, I honestly believe this is a fantastic resource for teachers just to have handy. It's not the kind of book you read start to finish. It is truly something that you dive into and you go in deeply one section at a time, depending on where you are and what you need. And it is the kind of thing that you could you could have marked up and highlighted and dog-eared and notes and things for a decade just to have it with you as you engage in this work. really think it's powerful.
0: So, Pete, as you're describing that, I'm thinking about the journey that schools have teachers go through where they pick a goal, and then they fill out the form, and they mark what they're (laughs) going to get better at and what's, you know, teaching standard it's associated with, and then they kind of forget it until we meet again in the spring And in fact, sometimes as a leader, I have to remind them that this was their goal, (laughs) you know, and I realize I have a big role in that as well as a, as a principal that I need to make sure that we are readdressing this and reflecting on this and using this as a way, you know, to continue to uh, strive. So on my good days, I remember to put some time in like our staff meetings or other kinds of, you know, times when we gather, let's take 10 minutes to look at this or review this or whatever. But what I'm hearing yeah. you say is that this text, Pursuing Greatness, could maybe help lead them through that reflection process and maybe data collection for whatever goal that they have. Is that is that fair?
2: That is fair. And I love the tone of voice that you used at the very beginning of that, that kind of indicates the blah, the blah, the blah, the yeah. part You're of right. what we've typically done, you yeah. know, that's. The way we've typically done it has just been a process. And with the best of intentions, it's really been difficult to stay in that place.
0: Yeah. And
2: then as we've learned more and more as leaders in particular about how we need to differentiate for our people, it becomes more and more unwieldy to be able to manage this many teachers with this many goals and this many action plans. And how how do you keep that in the forefront? Right? Right. So, what this tool does is it kind of whittles it down to what we've identified are the 24 most commonly asked problems of practice.
1: Hmm. Oh, so
2: we kind of face a particular set of questions. And at any given moment, there's something that's confounding us, there's something that we're challenged by, there's something that we, a question that we need to answer something around six great big ideas. And here are the six big ideas. One is creating a positive learning environment just setting the stage in your classroom or your little nook and cranny where you're going to have kids that it's positive. positive two is a focus on challenging uh, our kids to mastery third is designing engaging learning activities the fourth is providing motivational feedback and by motivational feedback I'm not talking about stand on the desk and rah rah it's more of feedback that motivates you to want to continue to learn to want to do something differently to adapt um, fifth is the assessment for learning processes, and then the sixth is creating dynamic group learning activities. So what we have done in this is we provide research for all six of those, among the 24 questions embedded in those six big ideas that challenge our teachers to then own their own professional learning over the course of the year. So we're actually... Guiding Teachers to Set Realistic, Personalized Goals That Make Sense to Them. And the subtitle of our book kind of gives it away, Empowering Teachers to Take Charge of Their Professional Growth. Because what you just kind of alluded to, Tracy, is the idea that professional development is something that we do to teachers as opposed to something that we recruit our teachers into a process and that we're doing it with our teachers and this is for our teachers. It's a different mindset. And so we're asking you as educators, and we're asking you as leaders to kind of climb aboard this different mindset of, hey, what if we actually found something that you were truly interested in learning about and really wanted yeah. to get better at, and then gave you the tools and the structures and the strategies and the prompts to help you get better at it? And you could do this with a grade level. You could do this with a partner. You could do this with a department. You could do this with a scatter plot of teachers from across your building and your district that you can investigate some of these same problems and challenge each other with some of the same prompts and some of the same tools and learn and grow because it matters to you as opposed to I'm checking, in the, checking the box, I'm complying with my requirements and I'm, and I'm moving on to next year.
0: Yeah. You know, within our district, I appreciate that they have a rubric. This, this I think at least helps us with the conversation because I have them look at the rubric that we are to use at the end of the year. And as you look through the rubric, uh-huh. there is no place that you get points for actually reaching your goal. And when I point that mm. out, I say to them, the bonus points you get are from adjusting, measuring frequently, and then trying to improve on what you started, right? And I do love that emphasis. And I think that when we can help teachers know, it's not just about whether I really got 20% of my kids to do this or 80% to do this. It is about what's really important for you that you really want to do. And then let's find out what kind of format you could create to help you get there. So I'm excited about this this emphasis you have on these areas that teachers we they they do want to get better they do want to improve and usually they're just doing it sort of on their own and then they do their little checkbox mm-hmm. thing because they have to right
2: right yeah and that was a, a battle that I always faced as a building principal was complying with you know district regulations and the things that we have to do yeah. and the things that we know are ac- actually going to make the biggest difference and trying to somehow merge those together so we I typically had my teachers set two goals one is for the form and the compliance piece. And then yeah. the other thing is, what do you really want to get better at? Right. And what's driving you and your curiosity as a professional and how can we support that? And so what this tool has done is it kind of brings both of those worlds together so you no longer have to offer both because you can do mm-hmm. one of the Just pick the one. Pick the one thing. The other thing that's really kind of exciting about this work is that as teachers grow in any given Elements or any of those six categories I mentioned, uh, they're learning a process and a and a practice that then is applicable to a new question or a new problem that may prop up at some point in their career. So it's not just about... So if you start with looking at engaging lessons, you're going to learn how to design more engaging lessons that take you from just keeping kids on task to creating something that is interesting to kids, to engaging every single student in the learning activities, to helping kids be curious and persistent and lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. And if you learn that process, you go through that process, you're then able to replicate the process that you went through to learn and to change and to adapt in a new situation. And we all know how education is. While the mechanisms have so really changed over the last 70 years, the problems that we face, the little things that might come up in a teacher's life in a day-to-day routine, sometimes those are new, and if you don't have a mechanism for solving problems, it's going to continue to be a problem. So what this provides is that opportunity to learn how to solve problems in the first place.
0: Or <laughs> I was just going to say, or maybe even just to identify the problem
1: in the first place, you know, because you
2: may. Well, that's also a good place to start. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. So, um, how have teachers reacted to this? Have Have any gone through the process and uh, reflected? Well, reflected on the process just generally. How how have they reacted to to this as a as a system?
2: Well, generally speaking, uh, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from folks. Uh, A couple different things. Alisa and I have been working on work like this for a long time. And so um, adding this research component, Alisa and I have done a lot of work just on how do you grow as a reflective practitioner and support teachers to grow as reflective practitioners. Now we're bringing in the what do you actually reflect on and being really specific about the content piece. And folks have been very appreciative to have that piece as well because this book is stocked with research in addition to the reflective prompts. So folks have given us a lot of feedback around this has provided a good direction. It provides exceptional talking points for folks. It is loaded with actual classroom strategies that folks can use. And now that we've got to move to a fully virtual environment, a lot of the strategies are easily adaptable to online learning and distance learning. Um, so yeah, I mean we're thrilled to death with the reception that we've gotten. Um, and you mentioned the companion piece that we've got too is a It's a journal. It's called a Teacher's Reflective Impact Journal that enables a teacher, for instance, to keep track of the work they're doing over the course of the year. So when things go well, we provide prompts for how do you acknowledge and recognize exactly what went well and why it went well and how you could repeat it again. If things didn't go well, it helps, like you were saying, Casey, identify exactly why didn't it go well and what are some things that I could do differently to make sure that that didn't go well, doesn't happen again. Um, and there's a lot of prompts built into that, and also an, an opportunity for teachers. And this, this is what I think sets this journal tool apart. Um, there's an opportunity each week for teachers to keep track of what impact they made that week. Wow. In a kid's life, in a colleague's life, in their own lives, in the, in the community, and what a fantastic tool that is, a gift that is, to give to yourself at the end of a school year, to be able to go back and say, hey, 40 weeks of school, I made 40 different impacts that I can point to very specifically. Because a, a lot of times, in education, you know, what happens mean, you invest, and we don't necessarily see the impact of the, of the work that we're doing. This is a way that we can archive it and keep track of it and then look back at it at some point later and say, you know what, I made a, I made a big difference. And I, yeah. I'm proud of the work that I've done, and I'm excited about that.
1: Yeah, and we're finding that, that teacher efficacy is so important in education, and what a great way for teachers to really see the impact that they've had on students, on each other, on the school. Um, so I, th- I think that's a great tool.
2: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: I'm kind of curious how you would weave it into your school process. So as a, as a principal, I, I kind of mentioned that I try to sort of fit it in at different things when I remember, and I don't always, I have you, have you created, or do you have a support outline as a building level, or is it really more like if teachers choose to, they would take this and then they do it when they get home Does that make sense what I'm asking? Like how how do you really get this reflection piece embedded into your day?
2: Well, the the thing about uh, effective self-reflection is that it doesn't happen just in a given moment, but it's something that is uh, ingrained in our processes. It it becomes a a pattern of how we think of how we address challenges, how we engage in conversations. Um, And so as a leader one of the things that I have always tried to do with my folks is rather than tell them what to do is I would ask the question and I would just pose it. Sometimes you ask a question and walk away. Sometimes you ask a question, and engage in spirited debate and discussion. Sometimes you ask a question and then give folks moments to reflect on it. Maybe jot some notes down with a tool like the reflective impact journal that accompanies this book. It could be, Everybody's got one. I'm going to pose a question. I'm going to suggest that we think about something that went well that we can celebrate from last week, and let's spend a couple minutes together in a faculty meeting or in a team meeting, jotting some notes down in our journal, and we create the habit of how we do that. I honestly have never in my life, and I'm working on finishing up five decades, <laughs> I have never found someone, encountered someone in my life that journals who is not Successful in what they do and at least moderately above average in happiness. I've very rarely encountered anyone who journals and doesn't enjoy what they do and does not see value and does not see an impact and does not feel good about the work they're doing. I, I just, I, that's something that I have found. And so that's why I came with Elisa and Mary Smith to create that journal to support folks because. I think it helps. I really do.
1: And I love that you're trying to find ways for to make it a habit in the daily routine of teachers because um I think that's the feedback that I've gotten from so many teachers is that there just isn't time built into the day. It's one thing after another mm-hmm. after another and so if as leaders we can give teachers permission and time to be able to stop and slow down a little bit and reflect um, yes. then that can be really powerful for them um, because, yeah, I think that they struggle to find a few minutes during the day to, you know, squeeze that in and sometimes they're too exhausted when they get home so um, I think that exactly. can be really
2: powerful and it's essential Yeah, because, I mean, we tend to do our best reflections when we're washing our hair or walking the dog or exercising or doing something else something. we don't have a journal with us to jot notes down right? to, to keep and archive it mean, so I, I can tell you personally, I've had many times in my life that I've had when I think is a really, really good idea, but then it's gone because I didn't write it down and keep it somewhere. Yeah. It's just an idea. It's like, in a fleeting moment, I have this idea. And I'm like, oh, that's a neat idea. But then, um, so when we build in those opportunities to write, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of movement afloat around, gratitude journals and the daily journals, and write a couple things down when you first wake up in the morning as far as what kind of mindset you want to be in, and what kind of things you want to accomplish today, and Little things like that that when we get in the habit of doing them, they do have an impact in how our day progresses and how we are able to shape tomorrow as a result of what we did and or are doing today. Mm.
0: And I love when you actually are referring to that reflection piece could be in a journal format or however it might be even just with you connecting with your lesson plan book and you're jotting down ideas about how that lesson Mm -hmm. went. So you have that for next year when you open up your, you know, your plan book and you want to see how you're going to proceed. But what I really like about it is it's, it's a suggestion that we have got to pause, right? We've got to pause and, and, and think, and review, and then make decisions about what are the next best steps, or if I was to do this again next year, right, and overall, we don't have that pause. We we are just manic in the buildings so much, <laughs> I think. What do you think, Jim? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, and as a, as an instructional coach, Jim, you've been asked to kind of step in and And work with people, but sometimes that's a really awkward place too because people don't want to pause. You get pushback from people when you're asking them to be reflective on about their practice.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just finding that time where people aren't trying to rush to the next thing. Mm -hmm. You know, where there's space to be able to do that. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, well, that's that's part of the machine that we have built in um, the education system. Is this push? To, for there can't be a quiet minute
0: yeah. in a
2: classroom or in a school i mean you've always got to be learning something you've always got to be pushing curriculum and a standard and we've always got to be making uh, leaps and bounds progress and the reality is it's the pause yeah that enables us to refresh and recharge and then be able to move forward strategically and in, intentionally in a direction that's going to make a step progress
0: yeah and and I'm so. thinking about um, the teacher standards where teachers are evaluated and there are probably seven different pieces of this I don't know it's like 30 rubrics um, for each standard right so any anyways I'm thinking there's like seven different opportunities for teachers to be able to record for themselves both for their individual reflection as well as for their students reflection. So as I'm listening to you in my mind, I'm just marrying the two. And it's like, we have to have teachers build into the day, uh, like a, a writing, even if it's for five minutes where the teacher sits at their desk and they're reflecting on what they've done well and what, what's their next best, most important step, right? For growth. But that kids do the same thing when they're thinking about math or thinking about their writing or thinking about reading or what the next job is. Our school's been trying to push our work that direction. But but in a way, I'm just thinking in my head, um, you know, the schedule matters. And you, if you were to put that in and everybody takes out their reflection journal, we all write about it. How powerful would that be for the students also?
2: Yep. And what the the reality is, and this comes from uh, Stephen Covey's work with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Back in the days, you schedule your priorities, yeah. And what what you spend your time doing indicates what's most important to you. So if if that truly is something that's important to us, then we dedicate and allocate time to do that. Mm-hmm. And if it's not if it's not allocated, if it's not protected, then it's not really that important to you. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we just kind of have to face and that's something that with the professional learning communities movement that started you know a little over two decades ago in, in earnest was the idea that oh we need our teachers to collaborate there we need our teachers to be together and then you saw administrators dropping into those meetings and hijacking meetings team meetings that were supposed to be used for collaboration and data analysis and planning and oh i've got the team together so i'm going to go meet with them that's an indication that well, your collaboration time is not really that important. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with journaling. It's the same with reflection. It's the same with project-based learning. It's the same with establishing and nurturing relationships. If it's truly important to you, you de- you dedicate and allocate the time to spend doing that work.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's such power in that reflection, I think. Um, and I love, how, I think the way I wrote it down when you said it early on the more reflective we are the more effective we are
2: is exactly that, so a- here's here's one this will Tracy this is going to blow your mind are you ready <laughs>
0: i'm ready i'm sitting
2: and jim jim is probably going to blow your mind too so <laughs> i'm
0: ready as well probably
2: ready <laughs> also. so kind of following the lines of um, how we spend our time is a reflection of our priorities think about how many times or maybe just the last time somebody asked you to do something and you you didn't get to it. You didn't call them back. You didn't complete that report. You didn't send something in. You didn't post it, whatever it is. Is my boss listening? Um, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay. Sorry. Keep going. (laughs) And
2: and as you, and the person said, Hey, did you do such and such? And your response is, Oh no, I'm sorry. I didn't get to that. I didn't have time for that today. If you shift your thinking and shift your vocabulary and instead, instead of saying, I didn't have time for that. I didn't get to it today. Instead of saying that, you said to the person, I'm sorry, that wasn't a priority for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. One of two things is going to happen. One is, you realize the reality of that statement, that wasn't a priority to me. Right. And I'm being honest with you by saying that didn't make it to the top of my list. Or two is, is oh my gosh, that hurts, that stings, that, um, that's barbed wire in both of us, according to our relationship, right? That right. Oh my gosh. What that tells you is you need to shift your priorities to make sure you do that thing in the future. So, I mean, it's a way of really, and I've kind of internalized that language. I I believe we have an inner monologue that talks to us all the time and explains to us what's going on. And anytime I'm faced with that situation, that little voice in my head tells me, was this a priority for you?
0: Mm -hmm. Did
2: you make it? Don't give this person that, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't have time. The day ran away from me. Oh, gosh, it just, I was swamped. Well, the reality is you prioritize what's most important to you, and you obviously prioritize something else, for good or for bad, and I'm not trying to add any value to that, just as a self-assessment, right? Doesn't that just blow your mind to be able to even consider saying to somebody, I'm sorry, that wasn't a priority for me? That's a a big eye-opener, and that's a big reflective moment when we can get to that point.
0: And I think if we were to become familiar with using that language on a regular basis— I think it would also affect how we say yes. You know, I totally
2: agree. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So if Jim wanted me to do something I didn't really want to do, I'd be like, <laughs> no, Jim, because I know that won't be a priority for me. Right. So I yeah. better decline. And how
1: honest is that? Yeah. And
2: how empowering is that for you? Yeah. And when we talk about self-care, that's one of the number one strategies of self-care is knowing when to say no. Yeah. And that no is an acceptable answer. And it doesn't mean you value Jim any less. By telling him right. no, it doesn't mean you value what he's asking any less.
1: Right. What it does
2: mean is you're prioritizing your own sanity and health and well-being, so that the things you do, you're doing well.
1: Yes. Love that. So Pete, are there yeah. any other, um, you know, small nuggets of things that we can take away from pursuing greatness uh, to start implementing tomorrow in our schools? So reflection, pause is a big takeaway um, letting teachers have some ownership back over their own professional learning. Any other things that maybe we can start immediately?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of philosophical stuff in there in order to get our heads straight around what's going on and how we're tackling problems. There's And there's a ton of very detailed content and research and tools and tips and strategies. Um, let me just give you one example. So we were, I mentioned earlier you know, student engagement. There's a, there's a tool that we've built into the uh, resource that's called Spark, Flame, and Fire. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with engagement. And it has to do with coupling engagement with curiosity at different moments in a lesson. So at the, at the very onset of a lesson, for instance, we want to spark our kids' interest somehow. Mm-hmm. By it, asking them a question that maybe doesn't have a, a yes or no answer. Um, by providing a weird fact or asking kids to make a prediction, something that gets kids' attention at the very onset of a lesson. Later in the lesson, as we're starting to learn information, as we're starting to do our research or get better at whatever process we're learning, can we fan the flame by adding new wrinkles or a surprise or ask a question at some point, uh, give kids feedback in, in such a way that they'll want to continue to learn more and refine their thinking a little bit and then the third step is the fire piece is fuel the fire which is how do we get kids to own the practice how do we get kids to own what it is they're really going to take away from this what kind of self-reflection again can opportunities can we provide to make sure are a part of this work and how might we get kids to collaborate and to pair up to really uh take this new learning and see how it's going to be implemented in their life and in their world. And so that's, that's an example and in the tool or in the resources, um, kind of a protocol to explain this is how the tool works, here's some prompts that you might use, here's some times that you might want to use this tool and then while you're doing it here's some things that you might want to think about. So that's how it's kind of orchestrated the tools that are embedded throughout. So there are 24 key questions. Each question has two tools. So there's a, boatload of tools in this resource that teachers could take that moment and try out.
0: Nice. Oh, that's really powerful. Um, How much money is left in my budget to get (laughs) 30 copies for
2: my teachers? Well, Tracy, I'm not doing a sales pitch, but let me just tell you this. I mentioned before, I really do think this could be a teacher's six-year professional development plan, so you can use six years' worth of your PD budget. (laughs) and allocated to this. Love it. We're actually, uh, so the publisher is McRel, so mcrel.org, mcrel.org. We're actually building an online course that goes with this. So if you're a teacher and you're, for instance, your principal hasn't purchased the book for everybody and you just bought your own copy, you could engage in um, discussion, you could engage in some additional tools and reflections and, and prompts uh, through the online course that kind of walks you through what is it you're working on, here's some questions that you might ask yourself. So there's, there's another resource there that may connect you with other educators across the world. That'd be cool.
0: I think that community is important yeah. when we're looking at that work that we're doing of reflection and growth. Yep. Totally agree. We have a final question we ask all of our um, guests where we ask you to pretend to get on a time machine uh, and go Mm. back to the beginning of your time, you know, becoming an educator. And if you could talk to your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self about the little things that make a big difference?
2: Yeah, that's such an awesome question. I think my, well, I know my response. I would say to younger Pete, I would say, do. Still out, <laughs> you know. I mean, we've we've already talked today about how there's always the go 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 mentality of uh, bell to bell. You got to cover the next standard. You got to push the kids. Yeah, you know, can't give them a moment to pause. And around reality you just got to take a deep breath and just enjoy this journey. Uh, I can't, I can't tell you exactly what the moment was, but there was a moment in my development as an educator where it became excessively clear to me exactly why we do schooling in the first place. And it kind of harkens back to the, the the days of yore where the village elders would take the youngsters in the in the community and say, this is what life is all about. This is what we're trying to do. This is how you can grow up to be a part of our society and a part of our community to help us be stronger and to help us be better and to help all of us improve the the quality of the journey. And if we kind of reframe why we do education and why we do schooling in the first place around that kind of notion that we're trying to... Because the kids that we have in our school right now are the kids that are going to be working on your cars. Uh, they're the kids that are going to be working on your teeth. They're the kids that are going to be, you know... Changing my diaper. Change eventually, yes. <laughs> and... We want them to be kind and yeah. generous and thoughtful and uh, problem inclusive solving and have problem solving and collaborative and world oriented and just good respect. I mean, that's what we want is just a stronger community. It's not, and you can't gauge the strength of a community by the test scores that they just That's not the metric. And so I think we've gotten a little sideways on that. And so if we can bring ourselves back to why we do this in the first place, and as you sit and look at a group of children, whether they're three or 19, you can see the future in them and what we want for them and for us. And it's a, it becomes a different ballgame. Education just becomes a different ballgame. And we, we emphasize more about relationships. We connect. We empathize a little bit more differently. We have conversations that are real and honest. About life in our society. I mean, right now we are going through some unimaginable messes. Yeah. And it's not just the COVID pandemic. I mean, we have some real issues with race in our country that we're facing. We have real issues with divisiveness. And we as a community and as a society, we must do better. And whether it's for you know a curse or a blessing, it kind of all sits on the shoulders of educators that it starts with our teachers because we've got our kids for an incredible percentage of their waking hours. Whether they're online or in person, we've got them. And we have to just open up and have conversations about some of the harder things that, that are real in our community. If we want our communities to be better, we have to confront the things that are getting in the, in the way of improvement and making it messy like it is right now. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to say, I would tell young Pete, just chill. Chill out and have some <laughs> conversations with your kids. Connect with them at, at a human level. Yes, teach them things. Yes, have them learn. And um, the learning goes beyond the textbook and it goes beyond the test course.
0: Nice. Thank you so much for taking time um, to come and Absolutely. talk with us. It's my pleasure. And uh, we know that you're in a beautiful place. And uh, to, to just step away from that beauty to, to talk with us is much appreciated
1: yeah thank well, you my Pete. pleasure
2: and uh, thank you i appreciate that you do this and you run this podcast and that you thought of including me in your lineup so i appreciate it thank you so much and for anyone who's out there listening uh, be strong your friends just be strong
1: we appreciate that thank Very you good. so much
0: have a good rest of your day
2: all right you too okay bye bye. bye-bye bye-bye